Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Katie Stem, who is CEO of Peak Extracts. And we're going to find out a little bit more about the work that they do. They're a women-owned and operated edibles company out of Oregon. We're going to find out more about a lot of the chocolate work they do. I'm excited about this. <laughs> I, love, I love edibles. I love chocolate. So I'm curious to uh, learn more about the business, learn more about her background. With that, Katie, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. So I always like to start with guests telling us a little bit about their personal background and their personal story. Um, how? What were you doing professionally? What were you doing before cannabis? How did you get into cannabis? Give us a little bit of the backstory. So I have a sort of a blended background in Western medicine and scientific research. I did about 10 years as a laboratory assistant, research assistant Mm -hmm. in a few different fields, physiology, neurology, pharmacology. And then I got a degree in Chinese medicine in 2010. Fascinating. And I did a tour in the entrepreneurial division of the AmeriCorps, two of them actually. And so I have some training with business starting in my early 20s. So it kind of converged neatly between the science and the herbal medicine and business into cannabis. Wow. And so... And so cannabis was a particular focus or was cannabis kind of 
the conclusion of a series of questions you were asking yourself about in terms of where should I start business? Cannabis was a, an entirely personal drive yeah. for me because I had been a medical patient since 2005 when we started the company in 2014. And it was enormously useful for me to control my Crohn's disease symptoms. Yeah. And so it became sort of a, you know, I have this expertise in extraction and science and chemistry and business. And so why don't we make a go of it since it's becoming legal in Oregon? Yeah. yeah, Interesting. So the business is focused on extractions. Why don't you just give, for those people that don't know, sort of the details of extraction and, and kind of the production or the processing process for cannabis. What stages are you involved in? What do you, what, what do you receive? What's your kind of input to your systems and what do you produce? Sure. So we, we wanted to be as vertically integrated as possible, but I still wanted to take advantage of what I anticipated to be a lot of market fluctuation on the, the beginning side, the, the farming yeah. part, because, you know, you don't know very many rich farmers and that's because you can <laughs> lose the crop and you yeah. know, they, everything can go wrong. And so I sort of anticipated that it would be pretty scarce at first and then there would be a glut. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, so I exactly. wanted to be able to take advantage of that as the person in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so we, we take raw material and then we process it manually and then we process it with solvent, which is in this case, carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was a little bit of a lengthy process for us to settle on CO2, but we're very happy with it. So we extract using CO2 mm-hmm. and then we infuse into a variety of products and we make our own vape pen line too. Got it. And and so uh, I mean, I, I, I like to get somewhat technical on some of these things, but so CO2 versus what? I mean, what, I know there's a couple of different extraction technologies out there at this point. What were you looking at? What were your decision criteria? What were the kind of trade-offs and then why CO2? Sure. So I have experience with all of them. And the three primary solvents that we use in the cannabis industry or classes of solvents really is uh, ethanol and hydrocarbons and CO2. And so ethanol is cheapest mm-hmm. and you can do a ton really quickly. But unfortunately, you pull a lot of chlorophyll and chlorophyll is really upsetting to digestive systems and it's a really cumbersome molecule and it doesn't interact well with chocolate. And so I veered away from that. And then the hydrocarbons, they produce really beautiful extracts, Mm -hmm. um, really high in terpenes, but I didn't like the environmental impact or the explosive risk. Mm, And so, I mean, with, with CO2, when we're done, which we, we create a lot of, you know, waste material because, you just pull what you want out of the, the cannabis and then you have to discard it. And yeah. so with our process, it just goes right back to the farm and is composted. Whereas with the hydrocarbons, it's hazardous, it's, ex- it's explosive, it has to be incinerated and it has to be mm-hmm. you know, properly disposed of by the municipality or the state, which it's really tricky because you know some of these incinerators aren't in Oregon. And then you're breaking the coal memo by taking your waste across state lines. Oh, it's, it's a legal and logistical nightmare. So I just wanted to avoid that entirely. Yeah. And CO2 actually works marvelously well. We spent a lot of time winnowing down our, our parameters so that we get what we need out of the, the end product. But mm-hmm. I'm super happy with it as as a, a solvent. Yeah. And so talk about the chocolate. I mean, you you primarily focus on chocolate. Is that Was that a strategic decision? Was that a personal decision in terms of looking at the possible kind of edible products that you could be producing? Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, chocolate. I love chocolate. I'm, <laughs> I'm really, really likewise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have an entire drawer in my house that's filled with chocolate, oh, and boy. I would never be able to give it up. So I, I made I made my own chocolates with cannabis for many years before we started the business, and I felt like that was a good choice because there's a fair amount of barriers to entry. Either you have to have a lot of skills with chocolate, or you have to have the right equipment. 
and because it's so finicky and it's so difficult to work with. Yeah. And so the better we got at making chocolate, the more I felt like we could set ourselves apart in the market because candy and other things are much easier to make. And then it just became a passion. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's kind of the benefit of being both passionate and a good strategic advantage. Right. So tell us about the sourcing side, though. So, I mean, you know, chocolate has its own kind of sourcing and processing. Like, how much do you do? Where have you partnered? How have you, you know, combined kind of the cannabis side with the chocolate side to create the product that you create? Yeah, we we went through a a big R&D process. We tried more than 75 different couvertures, which couverture is just the term for raw chocolate that has not been tempered that consists only of chocolate product like either cocoa butter or cocoa liquor or cocoa nibs mm-hmm. and sugar. And so we settled on a 70% dark and mm-hmm. we work with a, a giant company. And this was a little bit of a decision because we had the, the struggle of do we make bean to bar? Yeah. Um, the issue there, which was kind of comical, is that if you don't do it right, according to Oregon pesticide rules, the chocolate would not pass. <laughs> <laughs> your cannabis would be fine, but you'd be out of market because of your chocolate. That's funny. Right. And so we were like, well, crap, we don't we don't want to risk that. And so if we work with Kuberture, with a giant company, that they, they spray things a lot more with the bean stage. And yeah. so the chocolate that we get will have less pesticides than if we made it raw from scratch ourselves, which is it's a pity, but it's just the way it is. Yeah. Besides which we didn't have the footprint to to have the conch and everything else in our facility. So we we work with Kuberture and so we we bring it in, we buy it at a ton at a time, mm-hmm. and then we temper it, infuse it, and then mold it, package it, and distribute it. Got it. Got it. And so as you've kind of developed these processes, what would have been the kind of nuance or the harder parts or the the pieces that were were more difficult to kind of get right in terms of creating creating this this infused product? Most of the tricks and difficulties that we ran into with actually infusing the chocolate, we ironed out before we started the business. That was yeah. something that we did. So you had you had a product, you basically had a product design pretty baked, no pun intended, before <laughs> you started the company. Yeah. I made a lot of mistakes between 2007 and 2014 before we we launched it officially. Since then, it's mostly been environmental and equipment problems. Yeah. As I said, chocolate's really a pain in the ass and and everyone will know that Oregon's really moist. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And chocolate hates humidity. Yeah, and and you, so, you're you're trying to produce in a, a fairly difficult environment. Totally, yeah. totally. And you know, we have really tall ceilings, and so you know, we have a rainy day, and <laughs> if we're not careful, the chocolate will will suffer. I mean, and we yeah. don't lose product; we just have to do it again. So yeah. we will lose a day of production. Yeah. But you know, that can be extra irritating, especially if you know something that's in high demand and we need to crank it out. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me about the um, kind of forming the company and kind of early stages of the company. How did I mean, how did that play out for you? I mean, you were you were one of the first one of the first extractors, correct? I mean, where were you in terms of the the bleeding edge of the industry and kind of the licensing stuff? How did you play out in that in that sense? We were at the very beginning. So my partner, Kate, and I, my girlfriend, started the business in 2014 in the medical market. And we were among maybe four or five edibles company at that point in time. And then um, we got our edibles license in 2016. And we were the first uh, edibles producer licensed in Oregon. 
And we're still among a very small handful of people who make their extracts and infused products. Most people are edibles producers and they purchase their extracts and then infuse them in-house. Got it. Um, there's more licensing and more hoops to jump through if you do both. The The city of Portland was extremely hostile to our facility. Oh, um, we, well, and why so? What was the, why, why? why? <laughs> they, they were really nervous about the machinery, the extraction machinery. It's really a very safe machine, but they were nervous about it. And, you know, the hydrocarbon explosions have happened several times in the city limits. And the city of Portland is notorious for being really slow to get any permitting done. And I think start to finish, it took us 14 months to get our extractor approved. Wow. It was gnarly. We went through so many different rounds and inspectors. And we had engineers who wrote reports for engineers who wrote reports for for engineers. We had at one point a daisy chain of five different engineers that had to write off on each other's work in order to get it approved by the city of Portland. That's crazy. Now, the history they had with the explosions was not cannabis producing. I mean, it was just other industries that had had these events that caused them to be cautious of anyone doing it, right? Or was it, these are cannabis based? It was was cannabis. Oh, it was cannabis. Oh. It was like open blast butane where people were taking cans of butane and in their kitchen, literally putting it it into cannabis and trying to get hash oil out of it and then blowing the building up because, you know, the dryer turned on or something like that. It, I mean, really so this so, so cannabis production had a bad rap or had a you know had a stigma or a history to the city, and so anyone else doing it, even if it was a professional situation, they were wary of. Yeah, yeah. got it, got it. So sometimes I ask yes. I mean, I think in this case, because of the medical history, well, I'll, I'll ask it. As you got into cannabis, was there any impact for you kind of family, social wise, uh, in terms of, you know, people kind of looking at you differently or, you know, what are you what are you doing getting involved in this cannabis space? I mean, what was the what was the reaction to from from friends and family? It's really evolved. When I first started doing it, it there was a lot of skepticism and and a bit of judgment. It's yeah. changed a lot in the last couple of years. As you know, it ticked over that 50% approval rating in the yeah. last five or six years. It's it's really shifted. And you know, it went from being something that was really risky and we'll see how it goes to, oh yeah, that's a growth industry. You, you should do well for yourself and good yeah. for you for being the first mover. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've got a I've got a cousin that needs a job. Do you think you have a spot? <laughs> totally. <laughs> so that's I mean that's been really fun watching it go from the fringe to the mainstream. Yeah. So quickly. Yeah. Has there been any downsides to that? I mean, have you has anything changed for you in terms of I don't know, kind of your interest or or the fun that you have in the industry? You know, as things have gotten you know kind of bigger and more corporate or you know more sophisticated, that has had some downside or has been is there not not as fun? Sure. I mean, I think that in the last couple of years, there's been a, a huge influx of of money of moneyed people, and there's yeah. a bit of a joke that especially the the conferences are playgrounds for middle-aged rich white dudes wanting to <laughs> relive their youth through some sort of interesting midlife crisis <laughs> yeah. and get really wild and like play with their, their money. And, and that's obviously not something I feel super comfortable with. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of drug use and prostitutes and yeah. stuff like that that is just not, not anything that bad, the, the seedy underside of, of some yeah. of this stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's, it's just interesting 
like I said, the influx of people that's come in the last two years. But I think that's going to phase out. I think people are going to realize what an insane amount of work it is and how frustrating a lot of these regulations are. And they're going to get deterred very quickly. Yeah, it is. It's a little daunting sometimes how how complicated this is and how much it changes, too. So it's one thing if it was a stable set of requirements. But like as things shift, it's like you've got to you've got to redo everything once someone decides that the law has to change or the how how a law is going to be implemented or is going to be regulated. Yeah, especially from our perspective, it's about consumer packaged goods and having to redo all the packaging or the warnings or stuff like that. It, you know, people don't realize how expensive and cumbersome that is to just change something on a label. It's it's very irritating, and you know, we never know what kind of notice we've gotten. We've gotten emails and memos that are postdated, so we'll get an email and they'll be like, "All right, so the rule changed as of two weeks ago." <laughs> so everything you've produced and labeled and have sitting out on shelves two weeks ago is now is now non-compliant. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's, yeah, you it's just have to let it roll off your back. Yeah. Well, is that, and I, I guess, what are some of the things you've have, have had to learn how to do as, you know, CEO, as the company's gotten bigger? I mean, I guess, do you still, are you still, you know, in the baking process and coming up with new products and, uh, you know, the sort of the artisan side? Or have you found that you've had to really kind of focus on the management leadership and, and how has that impacted you? It's just all a bunch of spinning plates. You know, the, the yeah. board, obviously the regulatory stuff is on fire when it's on fire. And so that takes all of my my focus. And then when that dies down, I immediately switch to the R&D and the product development. You know, we always have a couple in the wings that we're mm-hmm. working on. And so, you know, I, I would love to get the regulatory stuff calmed down so I can focus more on that. But, you know, it's just not not always possible. Yeah. Uh, and with your strong science background, I mean, I guess how what pieces have you been able to leverage from your, you know, your research and your, uh, the science background that you have, I guess, and what parts of it were you knowingly, or, or did you know that you could transfer and what parts were kind of a surprise or you, you didn't consider at first that might be transferable that have proven helpful for you? That's a good question. Well, initially I knew that there weren't all that many people and this sounds possibly elementary, but there weren't that many people who could really formulate yeah. and to do the math. It's not difficult math, but you know, there's a couple of different moving pieces to get the oil into the product and hom- homogenized yeah. and dosed correctly. And I have a great deal of experience with, with dosing pharmacological compounds into yeah. either human or animal subjects. And so that was way easy. And that that part was was fun. The chemistry part was something I knew I would have experience with. The thing that kind of surprised me was how much I tapped into Chinese medicine because they use a lot of CO2 extracts to use their herbs. Uh-huh. And there's a ton of Chinese herbs. And the data is pretty readily available about what parameters they use to get what they want out of each different Chinese herbs. And so I was able to extrapolate based on what they do for, you know, similar families of herbs in terms of parameters and and toy with that and see whether we could get more of what we wanted out of the cannabis plant, which that was totally unexpected and fun. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a fun kind of integration of, of, uh, kind of Western, Western and Eastern kind of approaches to, to science and medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Their focus is so much on whole plant medicine. So that's what I really wanted to do with cannabis. And that, that's, I think, underserved in the industry right now. Yeah. And are you, I mean, I guess, do you consider yourself primarily medically focused or adult use focused? Or do you not distinguish? I mean, I guess bridge for me a little bit of kind of your personal background on the medical side to where the market's going and how you're positioning yourself. Well, I worried that people would have, they would have feel stigma at staying in the medical industry. And it's tough to say how much of the exodus away from medical use patients in Oregon was because there were a lot of people who wanted to be in the cannabis industry that 
got cards, not through any legitimate medical yeah. purpose. Yeah. Right now, I mean, our market, we make a medical line, but mm-hmm. it's minute compared to our recreational line. Yeah. But what I wanted to create was a broad and diverse set of products that you could use medically. And for me, there's there's a, a really hazy line between yeah. recreational and medical use because I think fun is medicinal and relaxation and being able to sleep. And so I don't want to get too puritanical about that, but mm-hmm. I also wanted... Our chocolate bars, because we we differentiate them into several different categories, it's still really useful medically. And so people can gravitate towards whatever purpose they need their their edible for and um, use our color coding system to to guide them to the right experience and effects. Yeah. I guess how much have you had to kind of learn from the market and figure out from a brand and kind of product point of view how to kind of develop different products for different market segments and how much how much has this been kind of research based, you know, either formal or informal? And how, how has the market kind of need driven your product development process? It's been a lot of back and forth. And it's always difficult to tease out what the branding of each individual strain has in terms of impact. Yeah. Because, you know, we do single strain chocolates and they're color coded. And so we'll we'll rotate through the strains every three or four months. Mm-hmm. And some will sell better because of seasonal things like our sativas sell better in the summer and our indicas sell better in the winter. But there's also, you know, Blue Dream is Blue Dream and everyone loves Blue Dream. And so that one's going to sell faster than Blueberry Cough, say, even though they have extremely similar effects. Um, the the branding and the and the awareness behind the the strain itself yeah. will also drive the market. Yeah, interesting. It's kind of a this kind of a double branded situation. I mean, your brand the, the strains have reputations and brands, and then the products have reputations and brands. So, kind of the intersection between those two. Uh, and the farms too, because we we co brand with the farms, and so the farm. Oh, interesting. Every package, and so people will be like, "Well, I love that farm, so I'm gonna go with that one." So okay, interesting. And and I mean that was that a conscious choice in the beginning? Did that was that kind of how things played out? And as you developed your relationships, what was the why brand the farms as well? It was meant to be, you know, a cooperative thing. And also, people were curious. Oregon, you know, if you've seen Portlandia, you know how how much we care about sourcing <laughs> yeah. and the story behind everything. And I think it's totally wonderful. Um, and you know, and these farms that we work with put an enormous amount of effort. And so it would be a pity to just. Hide, a, hide the light under a basket, so to speak. So yeah. we're really happy that we got to do that. And it's forged some really cool collaborative relationships. And we've been able to give feedback to the farms about what strains we need and yeah. that kind of thing. So it's been super, super awesome on all sides. Yeah. So so as CEO, what have been some of the challenges in terms of building the business? Uh, you know, is it, uh, you know, talent? Is it, uh, you know, logistics? Is it equipment? Is it supply chain? I mean, what, what have been your kind of the things that have been most challenging for you from, from a business standpoint? I think it's kind of a similar, a really typical story. Mm-hmm. I think everybody has a story when they grow a company from one person to 10 to 60 that yeah. you start out doing everything and you need to let go of things along the way and figuring out which ones are the most efficient to let go and which ones are the most efficient to keep. Mm -hmm. And then at this point, I'm trying to figure out how to make myself able to actually step away entirely so that I can work on more product development and expanding the company. And so that's been the trick is the right people at the right time that can pay for themselves along the way. And we're all self-funded thus far. And so that's been tricky to just make sure that everything gets done without you know going in the red <laughs> run out of yeah, running out of money 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. We always say that the more companies die of drowning than starvation, you know, they end up growing themselves broke rather than uh, running out of business just from a cash flow point of view. Uh, yeah. So I guess how, how much and how much of that has been, you know, kind of the logical, strategic kind of external figuring things out versus how much of it has been, you know, your own kind of mindset and, you know, way of thinking and, and thing, you know, values and beliefs that you've had to kind of change or reconsider given where you are with the business? I mean, it, well, how much is external and how much of it is internal for you? Probably about half and a half. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like I'm a totally different person than I was four years ago in the way I approach problems. And so I, I, I don't even know how to begin to explain it. Just that <laughs> I feel like we always have to keep moving and we always have to keep changing and we can't let our mistakes drag us down because there's always going to be another mistake on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. And how, any any strategies that you had in terms of, you know, either just processing mistakes or turning, you know, learning from mistakes and anything that you do that has been particularly helpful for you? Sure. We've, we've painted ourselves into a corner a couple of times with our extraction process and we've learned lessons the hard way. Like there's this strain called Super Silver Blue Magoo that we got from this amazing farm called Yerba Buena. And it has a particularly unique terpene profile and our, our goal is to retain all the terpenes rather than uh-huh. pulling them and adding them back later okay. um so we do everything very slow and cold and deliberately and we made this beautiful extract and it smelled great the terpene levels were through the roof and we learned that that particular combination of terpenes makes thc come out of solution and so <laughs> our all of it was ruined oh no <laughs> And we had to start over because, you know, we filled the cartridges and then they crystallized like honey that's been in a cupboard for two years. And so they were pretty much unusable, you know, yeah. unusable. And so that's the risk of having something that's so R&D based, but is still in motion. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I wish I'd had three years to tinker around before we launched it. But we didn't. And yeah. so we've we've had to throw product back and we've had to take losses on items because we're learning as we go. Yeah. Anything you'd suggest to, you know, cannabis, you know, business, early stage companies, you know, entrepreneurs, founders in terms of sort of going through that process, you know, either strategically how to, how to do it uh, in a way that you're going to maximize learning or just mentally, how do you, <laughs> you know, how do you not let it get you down? What advice or, or insight would you give to someone that's who's in the beginning of the process? I would say that although it's often not feasible to have the standard amount of operating expenses in your bank account, you know, yeah. for any other business I've run, I've wanted between three and six months of operating expenses in the account. And that's just not going to happen in cannabis. And I don't know any cannabis companies that are not hugely funded that have that kind of buffer. Yeah. But what we do have is a six to 12 month inventory buffer. And so when some sort of crisis that is an R&D type crisis, uh-huh. that's like, okay, this product could launch in a week, or it could be a failure, or it could be delayed by three weeks because of some packaging regulation. Yeah. And so we try to keep enough stuff in the queue to last us six to 12 months. Yeah. Um, so you're not going to, you're not going to have an outage, a raw outage on the product. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on where things are going right now? I mean, so we've got this kind of state by state licensing thing, like as I'll say when and, and a big if on, you know, time frame. Um, if we go federally legal, um, you know, if, if this kind of plays out, you know, where we, we get some kind of clarity or some kind of legalization at the federal level, how, how does that impact the business? How does it impact the industry for you? What are your thoughts on where this is going to go? I would love it. That would really allow us to take advantage of the economies of scale that we're not able to now being in such a you know, relatively small state. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, there's only a, a few million people here. And if we could serve 10 states, then we could get the really fun machinery. <laughs> Just the bigger the bigger equipment. And, yeah. Uh, you know, the stuff that takes one person to operate and we'll make 20 times the chocolate that we can with three people. That uh, kind of stuff. And I think that Oregon is going to be a major hub for, for cannabis cultivation, which I, I would love. We do a great job here and there's way too much of it right now. And so... yeah. I'm going to have to insulate myself from that being, you know, taking advantage of the low prices now because I have a feeling they're going to go up hugely if we're able to go across state lines at all. Yeah, yeah. If we can, if you can export to other states or ideally other countries, it's going to, it's going to increase that demand. Um, right. Interesting. So if people want to find out more about you, about Peak Extracts, what's the best way to get that information? Uh, just go to our website, peakextracts.com. Um, we're on Instagram at Peak Extracts and Twitter at, at Peak Extracts. And there's a, a link in a contact form if anyone wants to contact me or our sales team directly as well. Excellent. I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes. Katie, this has been a pleasure. I love um, I love what you're doing. I love the chocolate side. When I was young, my grandfather was a chocolate salesman and I used to go with him to the companies making the chocolate. And I have these you know, very fond memories of that. So it's nostalgic and uh, close to my heart. So I appreciate the time that you had today uh, talking about this. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This was super fun. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.